Hey, I'm Matt Simpkins, pastor of Christ South, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope this builds you up. I hope this helps you in your faith. I hope this helps you to see God at work. We'll see you at the end of the podcast. Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, Thanksgiving has to be one of my favorite holidays. It's just a great time to gather together. A lot of food and a lot of football, a lot of friends, family, but um, also a lot of films. Maybe you take a little bit of time to watch a movie with everybody together. We, we enjoy doing that. And one of our, one of our favorite genres or one of those, those mysteries that, that has you going along the entire time and then at the very end, there's this twist that no one saw coming, takes everybody by surprise, and your assumptions throughout the movie are completely turned upside down. And so this past week, I googled, what are the top ten movies with the greatest last-minute twists? Now think about that in your own mind. There were several lists. But I wanted to kind of condense them down just to five, all right? So the five ones that, uh, that they had here. Number five. And I'm not endorsing any of these movies. They may not all be appropriate for all ages, okay? I'll just put that disclaimer out there. Um, the Illusionist, the last minute. Uh, Murder on the Orient Express, when everybody reveals who they are. Shutter Island, that was freaky at the end. Um, oh, and one of the Sixth Sense, that take you by surprise at the end. Not, not that I'm endorsing that movie or anything. Psycho, 1960 movie, Psycho at the end. And the number one, according to all these different ones, The Usual Suspect. Oh, it's fun. It's fun to go through a movie, and you're just enjoying it, and you're trying to figure it out, and wham! It catches you completely and utterly by surprise at the end. And as good as a theme that is throughout um, Hollywood, they actually stole, they stole that strategy. It comes directly from the Bible. So today we're going to do just kind of an old-fashioned Bible study. But before we get into that, we're in the last of a short three-week sermon series called Verses. Knowing that we live in a very polarized world, the first one was good versus bad. Last week it was us versus them. And now this week we're going to take a look at winners versus losers. Because in our culture these days, we have a very specific and perhaps narrow understanding of what it means to be a winner. A winner is the one with the corner office and the big salary. A winner is the one who signs that professional contract. A winner is one who really does die with the most toys. And the loser is everybody else. We say that even if you come in first place, you are first among all the losers. Because we love, we love a winner. And then the Bible comes and turns all that upside down 
by focusing on a single solitary life. A life by every world's standard was a loser. I mean, he was born in poverty and remained there. Didn't have much money, didn't really have a job, seemed to be homeless most of his life. Didn't travel more than 150 miles. Didn't set any world's record. Didn't write a book. And he even died a criminal's death at an early age. By, by every world standard, Jesus of Nazareth was a loser. But then, in typical Hollywood fashion, where they string you along until the very last scene in which the flip happens and the reveal goes on, and nothing is as it appeared to be. Winners become losers, and losers become winners. So today I want to do a little Bible study. On the very last scene, the very last hours, of the very last day, of the very last week of Jesus' life, in which everything is turned on its head, and nothing is as it appears to be, particularly in terms of winners and losers. Let me set the stage. Of course, the last week of Jesus' life, he comes into Jerusalem riding not on some, some great warrior steed with armor, but rather on a donkey, and not just on a donkey, a baby donkey. So Jesus probably has both feet dragging on either side of this small beast. He looks like a loser. And then on Thursday of that week, he gathers his disciples together for a meal. He picks up some bread, and he says, this is my body. Eat it. He takes a cup of wine, says, this is my blood. Drink it. He even sounds like a loser. And then that night, of course, he's arrested. He's brought over first to the Sanhedrin. That's the Jewish ruling party. And they beat him and they bring in false witnesses. Trumped up charges. But they can't put Jesus to death. That's part of Roman rule. They can do everything else to him. But the Jews cannot do capital punishment. Only Roman can do that. And so here's the greatest irony of all. These Jewish leaders have to bring Jesus before Rome. Before the most powerful man in this area of the world. Pontius Pilate. They have to work with their dreaded enemy. In order to put this Jesus to death. That's where the story begins. <clears throat> then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it's early in the morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, now catch that, to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter into the palace because they want to be able to eat the Passover. Do you catch the irony there? 
these Jewish leaders now are guilty are guilty of the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. They are guilty of the Fifth Commandment. You shall not kill. They have done abominable things to this Jesus. And suddenly as they came to Pilate's palace, they're going to get all righteous. Oh, I can't walk on Roman concrete. I can't touch any Roman wall because it might render me ceremonially unclean. So I cannot celebrate the Passover. Do you see the irony? Do you see how everything is flipped upside down at the very beginning? The twist. But of course, Pilate comes out and says, what charges do you bring against this man? Pilate is in charge. Pilate, the most powerful man in this region of the world, and the most powerful man as a representative of the most powerful nation, the Roman Empire. He demands an answer. What charges do you bring? And they say to him, if you were not a criminal, we would not have brought him to you, which is not even an answer to the question. Pilate knows. Pilate knows that these are trumped-up charges. Pilate knows that they are just jealous of this Jesus. And so he says, take him yourself and judge him for yourself. Here's Pilate again on the judgment seat. Powerful man. He's saying, I don't want to listen to this. This is not a Roman matter. This is a religious matter. You take care of him yourself. Pilate, the most powerful man, his first attempt to release Jesus, and he fails. Does he really have the power? The story goes on here. Because the people cannot seem to let it go, they, they, they send Jesus back to Pilate, and Pilate then begins the cross-examination. He summons Jesus and says, Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is right to it. Doesn't ask him how his family's doing. Doesn't ask him where he lives. Doesn't ask him what the charges are. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate is taking control. But suddenly there is this immediate twist. And Jesus says, is this your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? It's happening. The twist. The accuser is now being cross-examined. The defendant is asking the tough questions. The accuser is beginning to squirm. The defendant is taking charge of this trial. Pilate says, am I a Jew? How does he say that? Does he say that with a sneer? Does he say that out of ignorance? I, I don't know, Jesus. I, I'm not Jewish. I don't understand all of your customs. Either way, this most powerful man, in charge of right and wrong, appears ignorant. 
Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight and prevent my arrest. But now my kingdom is from another place. Your king then, says Pilate. Because you certainly don't look like a king. And Pilate knows kings. Pilate knows rulers. And Jesus is sitting here beaten and bruised and bloodied. Doesn't have an army. Doesn't have a penny. Doesn't have very many followers. So you're a king. Right? But nothing is as it seems to be at this trial. From Pilate's perspective, this Jesus, this carpenter turned a homeless preacher, seems, from all standards, a loser. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world was to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to me. It's turning around even more. Jesus has even a stronger presence. Jesus is taking over this trial. Jesus is asking the hard questions. Jesus is putting Pilate on the stand. And Pilate, all he can say as he backpedals is, what is truth? And even that, we're not sure what he means. Is he saying, tell me, Jesus, O wise one, what is truth? Is he saying it with derision? Truth? You think any of this has anything to do with truth? What is truth? You're going to tell me, the judge over right and wrong, about truth? It's continuing to flip. With this, Pilate went out to the Jews again and said, I find no base of charge against him. Again, for the second time, Pilate's trying to release this king of the Jews, and he can't seem to do it. Who has the power here? So Pilate then, or yeah, Pilate then says, it's a custom for me to release one prisoner to all of you. Do you want me to release Jesus or who? Who's the other one? Barabbas. It is an easy choice, isn't it? You've got Jesus, a homeless, poor, beaten carpenter who walks around and tells people to love one another. Or you have Barabbas, who is a convicted insurrectionist, a murderer, and a thief. And Pilate puts up an easy choice. Which one do you want me to release? And who do they choose? Barabbas. A third time, Pilate tries to release Jesus, and he can't seem to do it. Who has the power in this story? Jesus or Barabbas? So let me check with you on your knowledge of Hebrew. 
It's pretty good, I suppose, isn't it? Seminarian, maybe. <laughs> Let's break down the word Barabbas. Bar, what does bar mean? Son. If you've been to a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, son. And I bet you know what the last part means. Abba? Father. What's his name, really? Barabbas' name means son of the father. And who is Jesus? The son of the father. Quoting another movie line, they chose poorly. The wrong son of the father. But Pilate can't seem to release this one who is the innocent one. So it continues on. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you. I find no charges against him. And the people rose up and said, Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate has lost all control. The most powerful man in this region to judge right and wrong has no power whatsoever. Pilate said, you take him, you crucify him. I find no basis. Four times now, Pilate is trying to do what is right. Four times, Pilate is found to be without power. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, which is, of course, blasphemy. And get this, if Jesus weren't who he claimed to be, then the Jewish leaders were right in putting him to death, according to Jewish law. If you are guilty of blasphemy, the punishment is death. If Jesus weren't, who he claimed to be, they rightly put him to death. But here's the twist. If Jesus weren't who he claimed to be. All of our presuppositions up to this point are being challenged. Everything is beginning to turn upside down. Who's on trial? Who's got the power? Who is the Son of the Father? Who is the Son of God? When, the Pilate, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. He went back inside. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave no answer. And, and Pilate said, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you realize I have power either to free you or crucify you? Does he? Does he? This is now the fifth time he could have released him. He could have done the right thing. But who has the power? Jesus answered, you, have, you had to have no power over me if we're not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. The accuser becomes the accused. 
the defendant becomes the prosecutor. The criminal gives the verdict. They are guilty. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asks. And the chief priests, the chief priests say, we have no king but Caesar. Oops. Oops. They have now condemned themselves. Because by saying we have no king but Caesar, Caesar is not just a king, but Caesar is the emperor. And Caesar is not just the emperor, but all of the Roman Empire worship, worship the emperor. So by saying we have no king but Caesar, they are now guilty of the very same crime that they have trumped up against Jesus. Blasphemy. They are guilty of breaking the first and the most important of all the commandments. Say it with me. You shall have no other gods before me. Guilty. Everything is turned upside down. We're now entering into the very final scene of this movie. The Jewish leaders who are called to be the righteous and the holiest of all are now guilty of blasphemy. Pilate, who is supposed to be the most powerful and knowing right and wrong, now has no power. And he is about to condemn an innocent man. Peter, a closest friend, can, denies him three times. Judas, an inner circle, betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus is the only innocent one. The only innocent one. And he is being put to death. Why? Because he is the only innocent one. Friends, do you know what makes Jesus unique? Do you know what makes Jesus one of a kind? It's not his virgin birth. Other people claim to have had a virgin birth. It's not his miracles. It's not his kindness to other people. It's not his healings. Other people did miracles. It's not even his resurrection from the dead. Other people were resurrected from the dead, like Lazarus. Do you know what makes Jesus unique? He is the only one without sin. And because he's the only one without sin, he is the perfect sacrifice who has to go to the cross to fulfill all the righteousness of God. The perfect sacrifice. Jesus was at the same time the only one without sin and at the same time the most guilty person who has ever lived because all the sins of the world, past, present, and future, were heaped upon this one person who could take them away from us as far as the east is from the west. That's what makes Jesus unique. And so then at the cross, the very 
final seconds of this movie. Jesus says, not with sorrow, not with regret, but he says with confidence, it is finished. It has been made complete. And as the movie ends, you're left asking, what? What is finished? What is complete? And then it hits you. The innocent one is condemned so that the guilty can be set free. The innocent one is put to death so that the guilty do not suffer. The innocent one loses his life so that the guilty can save ours. And no one saw it coming. So on this Thanksgiving weekend, as we give thanks for family and friends and great food and good weather and a great nation, we do well to also pause to give thanks for the greatest twist in all stories and all of history. That because of his victory, because of his defeat, we are victorious. Because of his loss, we are found. And because Jesus was a loser by every standard of the world, we are found to be winners by every standard of heaven. And no one saw it coming. Did you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you continue to turn our world upside down. The last will be first. The first will be last. Greatness will be found in serving. And if you want to live, I mean really live, you have to die to yourself. It doesn't make sense, Lord. It always takes us by surprise. But in this weekend of all weekends, we return to you and say thank you. For it's in your glorious son's name we pray. Amen. All right, I hope that was helpful. If so, I ask you a couple of things. One, share this with a friend so that they can hear some good news in their life too. And if you want to continue that impact beyond, we ask that you go to ChristSouth.org to the online giving tab and give to this ministry so that we can continue to share this with others. We'll see you on the next podcast or maybe in person at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at Polo Ridge Elementary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Blessings and peace. Have an awesome week.